Welcome to episode 40 of Justice with John Carpe, the podcast from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. I'm the show's producer, Kevin Steele, and I'm here with your host, John Carpe, who is the president and founder of the Center. We are, of course, welcoming John back from a hiatus where he was off doing things, no doubt, befitting a founder and president. Now we have some catching up to do, meaning we have some catching up to do on things COVID. In Canada, over the last little while, the real action on this file has been going on down east, which for us out west means Ontario and Quebec. John, have you been following what's going on in Quebec? They apparently have a second wave of COVID, and they're bringing in another lockdown. They crack down on restaurants again starting Thursday, October the 1st. So they announced uh, in the the last two or three days of September that because of the uh, increased numbers of cases, which of course you get when you do tens of thousands of tests, the more tests you do, the mm. more cases you find. Uh, so starting October 1st, uh, the decimation and crucifixion of the Restaurant industry and and hotels and conferences and bars and gyms, as well as a crackdown on the the civil liberties of the people in Quebec that you cannot have friends or family come over to your house, uh, which is just a huge violation of of a of human dignity and of a fundamental freedom that you can hang out with friends, hang out with family members. Uh, so that very uh, harsh, and yet the number of deaths. It's the same in, in Quebec, in Ontario, in, in every Canadian province, in every jurisdiction. We saw deaths go from zero in January, or at least zero recorded deaths. I mean, there may have been COVID deaths in, in January that we, we don't know about. But in terms of government data, you have zero deaths in, in January, zero or very few in February. And then the floodgates start to open slowly in March, and you get some deaths in March. And then in April and May, you get large numbers of deaths for about two months. And then in June, it drops. And in July, it drops more. And in August, it drops more. And we're, even in Quebec, the media, which uh, I think are contributing to the hysteria, the media in some of their reporting actually said, okay, so we have, you know, 500 new cases, but two hospitalizations, zero deaths. 400 cases, one hospitalization, zero deaths. 700 cases, uh, three hospitalizations, three deaths. Uh, you know, the, mm -hmm. there, there is no uptake uh, or uptick. There, there is no increase in the number of deaths right. uh, beyond, uh, you know, zero or one. And, uh, you know, of course, every death is, is a tragedy. And that's very sad for, for that person, for the family members. And we do have to look at it in context. There are 275,000 Canadians die every year. 275,000 deaths. So you're looking at more than 20,000 deaths per month. So when you've got uh, you know, one or two people dying of COVID in a context of um, uh, in a context of, of 20,000 Canadians dying every month, uh, or you know even even in a given province. I mean, in in, in Quebec, you've got maybe uh, 40, 50,000 people die every year. Okay. So if you've got 50,000 deaths and then, well, in the past week, we've had two COVID deaths. Mm -hmm. So these, these cases are only relevant to the extent that 
that people are getting killed. And if you've got, uh, you know, if you've got a hundred thousand cases or 10,000 cases or 1,000 cases and you've got next to zero deaths, why does it matter? And they say, well, we got to stop the spread to protect grandma or, you know, protect people in nursing homes, to which I say, well, then go ahead and protect them. Uh, stay, don't visit your grandmother in person, or if you visit her, visit her only outside, or stay six feet away from her. Or if you believe that a mask is going to help, then wear a mask and wear your gloves and stay six feet away from her, or just talk to her only by, by Skype and Zoom. If you want to protect grandma, then go ahead and protect grandma. There's no reason for everybody else in the country to get locked up and not see their family at Thanksgiving and not go swimming and not go to the gym and not have meetings and, and, and conferences and events. There's no reason to shut down the tourist industry. Uh, you don't have 83-year-olds in nursing homes with multiple health conditions that are getting onto airplanes and traveling places. I mean, if they were, then, you know, okay, that would be different, right? But people getting on an airplane are not... Uh, 83 years old, residing in a nursing home and suffering from uh, heart disease and uh, lung cancer and, and dementia and whatever else, diabetes and medical conditions. So you've got this insanity of public policy that disregards the fact that COVID is a serious threat to elderly people who are already very sick and that it's not any kind of a threat on a statistically significant level, it's it's no more of a threat than dying in a car accident when it comes to people uh, that are under 60, and even for the most part under 70, COVID doesn't threaten anybody uh, except for very small numbers of people that are immune compromised or have a health condition. You know, and then people bring in, well, okay, but but if it saves a single life, it's worth it. Uh, well, no. Uh, if the lockdowns are killing more people than uh, you know through cancelled surgeries or by driving people into unemployment and poverty and despair and suicide, or with drug overdoses, when the lockdown measures are killing way more people than the virus itself, then no, the lockdowns don't justify. So I, I, I categorically I reject uh i reject this whole argument that well even if it saves one life you know we we need to shut down our economy we need to destroy our our social fabric and you know parents can no longer talk to each other at a children's uh, ballet class or at a martial arts studio people can't say hi to each other in in the gym gyms are closed down uh you know they're being closed down again in quebec so it's just it's just horrific that uh, on the basis of, of a bunch of uh, benign cases that are having next to zero impact on anybody, there's this, this terror that, oh, we got new cases, new cases, new cases. So we have to uh, continue with uh, giving up our, our human dignity, our rights and freedoms as citizens, and we have to continue to destroy the social fabric of society and continue to harm our economy uh, because some people are hysterical about a bunch of uh, cases. Well, it's not just people. I mean, it's the the public health officer, or min, uh, not the minister, but the public health officer of Quebec, Horacio Arruda, said, uh, it's not my job to protect the economy. My job is to protect the health of the Quebec people. In other words, he seems to make no connection between the economy and uh, the health of the people. He's simply looking at COVID as sort of this grave threat uh, that that must be stopped at all costs. 
I mean, we've seen similar things like that around the country, but they really seem to be taking it to an extreme right now in Quebec. I, I know that they had some harsh measures in Ontario, but not as harsh as Quebec. Uh, they're looking at, uh, well, we'll get into that later, that whole kerfluffle about uh, warrants uh, going into houses during Thanksgiving. We'll get into that in a bit. But, uh, you know, what do you think of this comment that uh, – you know, he's there to protect the health of the people, not the economy. Dr. Arruda is doing a terrible job of protecting the health of Quebecers because he is not looking at the impact of social isolation, the increases in anxiety, depression, uh, alcoholism, drug usage, drug overdoses, suicides. Uh, since when is that not part of public health? I mean, how could you, how could you, look at public health through the lens of, of, of one disease only. I mean, would you be a good doctor if you uh, if the only thing you're looking for is whether or not the person has lung cancer? Like, oh, well, you don't have lung cancer, you're fine. It's like, well, no, there, <laughs> there's more health problems than just lung cancer. You'd say he was a bad doctor, right? If the doctor mm. said, uh, <laughs> if you came in there with chest pains and <laughs> your, your left arm is all numb... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you've got the heart attack symptoms and the doctor says, "Well, you don't have lung cancer. Be on your way." Right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, how 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 stupid is that to define public health uh by fixating on uh one disease, one illness, one virus. You have to take a holistic approach. So in Quebec, we uh the, the numbers are not in I mean, the numbers are coming in slowly in every jurisdiction. So we don't we don't yet know how many people the lockdowns have killed. Mm. But the numbers are going to go up. I mean, psychiatric disorders, mental illness, that's going to go up because it's totally unhealthy for us as social animals. And, you know, whether you're looking at it from a, from a theistic perspective of being created in the image of God, or whether you're looking at it from a evolutionary perspective that, that we are social animals and evolution has conditioned us to need to be together or, or both theistic and evolution, but whatever, whatever your, your background, I think everybody acknowledges that we are social beings, social creatures, and we need to have some uh, in-person face-to-face contact with each other. And when you drive people into loneliness, it is profoundly unhealthy. Uh, the, I've heard some uh, child suicide uh, statistics are, are slowly trickling in. It's mostly just anecdotal at this stage. Mm. But that um, just last week in the United States, that there was something like 25% of, uh, of people in their early 20s had contemplated suicide in the past six months, which is much, much higher than what that has ever been before. You don't have 25% of people considering suicide. I mean, that's a, yeah. that's a huge uh, number. And the suicide rates are going up. The opioid deaths in, uh, we have data from British Columbia and Alberta, both jurisdictions, way more people dying of uh, drug overdoses than of COVID. And it's the increase over last year that is profoundly disconcerting. And mm -hmm. um, so I don't know the op opioid death stats for Quebec, but if, if Dr. Arruda uh, or any other of, of these uh, chief medical officers, if they're considering only one illness, then they're doing a disastrous job of considering public health, which is multifaceted. Right. Yeah. Well, they, of course, uh, at the beginning of this thing, did a terrible job. Quebec, I think, had the highest death uh, deaths from the disease as well in nursing homes. 
they had some terrible situations caused by the panic that, that had, had been created where people were abandoning their posts, the people who worked in nursing homes and, and things like that. So it doesn't sound like things are getting any better, but I'm wondering if that bad start they had is just sort of that's the reason they're panicking now because, they, you know, they're bringing in some pretty drastic measures. But all those measures are they're they're useless. They're in if they don't do anything. They, they don't provide any benefits. I mean, they strip people of of their uh, rights and freedoms and human dignity. Right when the government tells me uh, that I can't have people over to my house at, at Thanksgiving, I mean, if that's not an affront to my uh, my freedom and my dignity and my autonomy as a human being to be able to meet with uh, friends or family members or or a mix of both, uh, to to have that taken away from me. Uh, but what what are the benefits? Uh, I'm I'm 53. I'm healthy as far as I know. Uh, other don't people look that, a day over 60, John. <laughs> but there's other, uh, you know, if 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 I was insisting on some sort of a right to uh, go marching into all the nursing homes in in Calgary and shake hands with everybody i think the the state could step in and say you know no john you're you're not allowed to you're not allowed to do that you're not allowed to go into nursing homes and uh, shake hands with with total strangers and make your rounds mm-hmm. you know okay fine that would be protecting the vulnerable but you're not we know this from the government data which the government is just ignoring its own data the government data says that covid is a threat only if you're in your seventies uh, and eighties, the average age of death is you know eighty two, eighty three, eighty one, eighty, eighty five, depending on jurisdiction. So if you're in a nursing home and you already have uh, severe illnesses, one or more, that's who COVID is killing. And we see that in every jurisdiction. We had the Center for Disease Control in the United States uh, came out last month in September and said only six percent of the COVID deaths are really you know, definitively attributable to COVID, but the other 94% are people with uh, that were close to death that had, uh, you know, one or more very serious health conditions. It's the same data in Alberta. 97% of COVID deaths in Alberta were uh, amongst uh, elderly people with one or two, and in most cases, three comorbidities or three other serious health conditions. So it's absolutely pointless. There's no medical benefit to taking away the freedoms of people to interact with each other uh, socially or or in a religious context with their synagogue or mosque or church. There's no benefits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. None. And there's no threat of death because if 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 there was a different virus going around that that we were not immune to, you'd see the death numbers climb and you would see another wave. You would see a wave of deaths, like we did see a wave of deaths in uh, in March and then primary April and May. We saw the the death spike in Canada, and then they came down and they've stayed down. They're still at at negligible numbers from a statistical standpoint. And again, that's not to minimize the sadness of every death, whether it's a death by cancer, by car accident, by suicide, by COVID. Every death is tragic. And when we're shaping public policy, you do have to look at numbers. Uh, if there's some, you know, if, if lightning strikes are, you know, killing three Canadians per year, of course, it's horribly sad that, that those three people died. But are you going to <laughs> turn the world upside down to prevent lightning strikes when there's three people uh, dying every year from lightning strikes? No, but you're not going to you know. go jogging in a storm, you know, that kind of thing. Reasonable right? precautions. That's, that's a problem. Yeah. These okay. measures are not reasonable. 
when the government uh, says that you can't have people over for Thanksgiving dinner, and then and then talks down to you and says, "But if, oh, but if you behave yourself and wear your mask and uh, stay away from the gym and from church and from restaurants, uh, you know, I'll I'll be really nice. I'll let you I'll let you have Christmas." Yeah, that they did actually make that statement. Uh, that was the statement. If you you all behave yourself for Thanksgiving. And don't have a Thanksgiving, we might be able to have a Christmas. Otherwise, we might be able to if you're a really yeah, good boy. Will be canceled too. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, they could argue. Yeah, well, you know, all their all their measures have brought down the death count considerably. How about that? Prove it. All right, where's the evidence? It's speculation. Hmm. And is it possible? Yes, uh, but. Here's the questions that a chief medical officer would need to answer. Okay, I'll, I'll just rattle off a, a few, a few of the questions. This isn't even the full list. Okay, but if I would ask the chief medical officer in in whatever province, I would pick a certain date. I'd pick a date of let's say April fifteenth, when you know lockdown measures are in place, and I would say, on April fifteenth in your province, how many people were infected by COVID? How many people? Uh, of those were asymptomatic. How many people had already had COVID as of April 15th? How quickly was COVID spreading from day to day, from April 15th to April 16th to April 17th? How many people were catching COVID every day? In light of the fact that you had your Walmarts open, you had your superstores open, you had your liquor stores open, and you know, other businesses, uh, some car dealerships and oil changes and whatever, you had a lot of businesses open. You know they weren't all shut down. So how quickly was COVID spreading from April fifteenth to April sixteenth in your province? Okay, I'll stop there for questions. All of those questions, if mm-hmm. the chief medical officer was you know required to answer, it was maybe sitting maybe in a court action under oath, couldn't just walk away and tell you to get lost, but actually had to answer the question. The answers would be: I don't know. 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 They had no idea uh, on as of March the 15th, March 31st, April 15th, April 30th, May 15th, May 30th. They had no idea how many people had already had the virus. Uh, There's a lot of people saying that they were sick for two or three days in November, December, January, February. There's a lot of people that think, you know, I probably had COVID because I had a shortness of breath and a fever and a sore throat and it lasted for a day or two. The government has no idea how many people already had COVID before lockdowns. They have no idea how quickly it was spreading day to day when you had the Walmarts and superstores and all these uh, all these businesses were open. So the virus was spreading from day to day. They have no idea. The only hard data, uh, well, and even here is questionable, but the, 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 best, the best actual data that we have that is not speculation is COVID deaths. However, and remember, those are grossly overreported because anybody that's got COVID in their body at time of death, this was confirmed to me just yesterday by um, a physician in Alberta who is a pathologist who <laughs> does autopsies and who's involved in this whole reporting of deaths told me yesterday that in Alberta, if you die with COVID, you're deemed to have died of COVID. So even your Alberta uh, COVID deaths, which right now are r- roughly 275, which, by the way, I can't resist mentioning it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Premier Henshaw and her lovely assistant Jason told us in April that there, we'd have 30, 
<laughs> We'd have 32, up to 32,000 people, even with lockdown measures in place in Alberta, 32,000 Albertans would die of COVID, right? This is why people are still living in a state of fear with this kind of fear mongering that the chief medical officer and the premier engaged in. So instead of 32,000 deaths, we're at 275 deaths. However, of those 275 deaths, uh, that includes people that just happen to have had COVID uh, in their bodies. Uh, it doesn't say that COVID was was even the cause of death. Well, okay, let's take that and let's apply it to Quebec, where apparently they had a terrible situation. Is there potential that their situation wasn't as bad as it looked? That's the, I guess, suspicion I have. You know, they had a... Uh, a lot of deaths uh, attributed to it. It didn't really make any sense to me in terms of how the virus had spread in other areas, other than, you know, they were recording everything as COVID deaths. The, I guess the well, there probably problem, were there, you know, in, in nursing, in nursing homes. And I know the a friend of mine is a physician in, in Calgary, not, not this. I know a lot of physicians. Uh, this one's responsible for, for one, he's he's like the, the head doctor for a nursing home in Calgary. And he said, COVID's a serious threat to my patients. For the uh for the uh, the, the higher the older the person, uh, when people in their 70s and 80s, if they catch COVID, they have like a 30% chance of dying, right? It's mm. it's, it's very high. So COVID is a serious threat to people. I have no doubt that there are many people in nursing homes in Quebec that did die of COVID. I mean, COVID's what you know pushed them over the edge. We have okay. to we have to remember the context as well. Uh, as the National Post uh, some months ago, um, I forget the name of the columnist, but he he was writing about long term care homes in Ontario. Yeah. So the the life expectancy of somebody that goes into a long term care home, or let's call it a nursing home, but yeah, whichever long term care nursing home, the average life expectancy is twelve months. That's average. Mm -hmm. So some people go into a nursing home and they'd be there for uh, for two, three years, or in some cases, five, six, seven years. Okay, fine. Some people go in there and they're dead within two or three months. The average life expectancy, once you go into a nursing home in Ontario, is 12 months. Hmm. So that's relevant, you know, when, when the chief medical officers are trying to keep us in a state of terror about some unusually deadly virus, uh, it's not irrelevant to consider the fact that you've You've got a high death rate in nursing homes. And if there's no COVID, you've got an average life expectancy of 12 months. And that's in Ontario. I think in other provinces, it would surprise me if, if it was any different in other provinces. You don't go into a nursing home unless you're already seriously ill with one or more conditions. Well, I guess that's the one piece of information I'm missing here. I'll get to the problem that I'm speaking of. But in Quebec, it, it doesn't seem to me like they have a disproportionate number of people in nursing homes, do they? They're pretty average. They're they're not a unduly ancient civilized or you know population. population. I think yeah. the Quebec I think the Quebec birth rate uh okay. I I yeah, stand I stand either. to be no <laughs> I, I I stand to be corrected, but it, I mm. believe the Quebec birth rate in the last few decades has been even lower than in other provinces, and so they have a they do have a more elderly population in Quebec, I believe. Uh, but I that's I need to but verify not to, that. Not to support the disproportionate numbers of deaths that we saw. I mean, you know, I mean, it was. I remember when it was going on uh, that 
what they call the first wave. And I'm, I'm looking at these Quebec stats and I'm just like, this does not make any sense. What are they doing there wrong that we're doing right? Or, you know, I mean, I just, it, uh, there was no explanation given why they're having such a high death rate in Quebec. Did you ever get a grasp of that? Uh, well, maybe because they had, uh, they, they had stronger lockdowns. <laughs> See yeah. here, you get speculation, right? You know, right. can I prove that? No, but can you prove that the lockdown saved lives? You can't. There's just no way. You would have to have the answers to all these questions about how many people had COVID on on a given day, how many people had already had it, how many people were symptomatic, asymptomatic. You'd have to look look at all this information, which no government has. That's the information you would need in order to prove. Uh, that lockdowns were effective. And then you'd still have a hard time because the alternative would be no lockdowns, but voluntary measures. So those who feel vulnerable stay home, uh, right? And and so the elderly people, they have their groceries delivered to the house. <laughs> they don't mm. go out in public and they stop you know, going out and they just stay home. So you have the vulnerable staying home, but you have the rest of the population uh, just come out and about and mixing and mingling and going on with, with their lives, going on with their business, going on with their schools and their gyms and their church and their, their martial arts classes and, and the school plays and the, the dance recitals and the theater and the movie That's theaters and the live yeah. theater. Yeah. You know, everybody <laughs> getting on with their lives. We don't know. We don't, because that didn't happen. Hmm. We don't know whether the deaths would have been higher or lower or the same. Um, I could make an argument that that with with that approach, the deaths would have been lower. And the reason it would have been lower is if we just kind of let the herd immunity get acquired amongst uh, young, strong, healthy people, or younger, stronger, healthier people. Uh, if you let the uh, let the under sixty crowd go out and about, uh, you could have had that virus spread uh, amongst the healthy population over a period of two or three, uh, four weeks. To the point where you have herd immunity because it has no other place to go. And then all of your nursing home residents are have much better protection because the virus is no longer spreading because it has no place to go. Mm-hmm. So now we don't know that. That's that's also speculation, right? Would the right. uh w- would there have been fewer people dying without lockdowns? But what bugs me is that this is they keep on talking about science, 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 science. When the truth is, it is speculation, 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 uh, mixed in with uh, conjecture, speculation, theorizing, speculation, conjecture, and fear, and, and fear, and that's uh, and that that's not science, and that's certainly not evidence-based public policy. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just want to back up a second here. One of the things that I wanted to state is that we seem to have a little bit of a blind spot here because it is Quebec, the language, cultural differences. They seem to be acting in a harsher way than the rest of uh, the country. I'm wondering if it is something to do with the culture, uh, something to do with the fact that they are there, sort of, they go their own way. I know that we don't have, a Justice Center doesn't have a representative there, right? That's one of the blind spots that we've got right now. Well, I don't know if I'd call it a, a blind spot. I mean, I would love I would love for the Justice Center to grow and to, to get to a point where we've got... Um, a lawyer in Quebec that is based there and that can help to defend constitutional freedoms in Quebec. So I, th- I think we'll get there at uh, at some point as the organization continues to grow. 
but um well i mean but it's it's tough i mean it's tough you know i mean it was i you asked me to look up a few things prior to this podcast you know you wanted to talk about these things kevin go look these up and i'm like huh. i'm trying to piece and most together. of the media is en français yeah, yeah. Uh, not only that i mean that it makes it difficult to search for different things because titles of course are in in uh, in a different language so you know nailing down who this uh medical officer for Quebec City was was a little bit difficult. Uh, maybe we could talk about that right now, that guy, that uh, Gerard fellow. I couldn't figure out whether he was just appointed in, you know, was he interim? Is he still interim? Anyways, why don't you tell us a little bit about that guy? Because that, that one really upset you. That's why you told me to go look it up. Dr. Jacques Girard uh, announced in September that people are being confined uh, for not cooperating with the authorities and they're being locked up in some unknown location. And he was very grateful for how cooperative and supportive the police were. Now, this scares the hell out of me because you've got due process. I mean, you could be the worst criminal. You could be some rapist, pedophile, child kidnapping, murderer, whatever. Uh, you, you could have done the worst things and in a free society, you still have your basic rights to be presumed innocent until found uh, uh, found guilty, uh, the right to a fair trial before an independent and impartial court, the right to remain silent and to not participate in the prosecution. So when the police are put you down on a chair and start asking you questions, uh, you can just be silent and say nothing. You have a right to remain silent, and that's not used uh, against you. You have the right to legal counsel. Uh, you have the right to contact legal counsel. And you have the right not to be locked up unless uh, you're charged with a very serious crime. And even then, you have a right to apply for bail to say, well, you know, between right now and my trial date, I have a right to get out and be free. And, you know, somebody's going to post, you know, plunk down a, a million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars or whatever as, you know, extra motivation for me to show up for trial. So uh, you have a right to be free from unreasonable search and seizure. You have a right to not have police come into your home unless they have a warrant. Uh, I, I could go on and on, but, the, but those are some of the basic, uh, the, 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 the right to know what you're charged with. What are you accused of, right? A police officer can't just uh, arrest you and say you're under arrest. It has to be you're charged with such and such, you know, shoplifting or murder or this or that or drunk driving or whatever, you're charged with something and then you can be arrested and then you can be detained and, and, and locked up. So all of these, and of course, you know, those, those rights are, are very upsetting when, when you're dealing with some Paul Bernardo, you know, horrible, uh, somebody that kidnaps kids and, and rapes them and kills them. And, you know, it, it is, it is hard to, see uh, people who are later found out to be guilty, uh, you know, that, that they've got all these rights, right? And it's kind of outrageous. Well, we want, you know, that, that, that just seems so unfair when they've done such bad things, you know. But the key is all of those rights that a criminally accused person faces, those are the rights that you and I enjoy as well or should enjoy in a free country. So that's why it's important to have them, that it's a limit on government. And now that's just, we've got a truck driving through these restrictions when you've got the the chief chief medical officer in Quebec Dr. Aruda suggested that 
health uh, health inspectors should be able to go into a person's home without a warrant if they think that somebody's got uh, visitors over for Thanksgiving, and then just go into somebody's house uh, without a warrant. I mean that the fact that that somebody this is a senior government official, and I understand he's a doctor, not a lawyer, but this is like you don't need to be a lawyer to see that, that there's something wrong with that. Yeah, but I mean, again, this is when you told me to look up, and I'm trying to piece this story together. And the way I understand it is that he kind of let the cat out of the bag. He was saying that, well, we're actually in discussions with the public security forces and whatever to go, to do that, to go in without warrants. So that's what he said. And then he immediately backtracked. And then the next day they had a press conference where the security minister said, no, 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 we're not going in without warrants. And then, of course, that turned out to be true, sort of. They decided they would bring in telephone or telewarrants. A telewarrant. Yeah. I mean- have you have you been able to it's find out information on that? I'm not sure. What? Have Sorry. you been able to find out have you been able to find out um information on those telewarrants? It sounds like it's not going before a judge with a sworn affidavit. Uh, well, like I say, it's either telephone or telepathic. I assume it's telephone. Uh you know, they're gonna you just type in you, you gotta tell somebody that you need a warrant and they're gonna give you a warrant. Uh I don't know exactly what has to happen. Obviously though. They were in these discussions. Dr. Arruda misunderstood what they were talking about, or he understood. And then uh, the reaction caused them to go to this next step of, you know, getting these kind of easy to get warrants to uh, to cover the Thanksgiving period. Anyways, it all seemed kind of dis- dishonest to me. And again, you know, the fact that they have these telewarrants seems pretty harsh. You know, they, they're pushing the envelope here. Well, it's not evidence-based public policy. Again, the core problem is the uh, the the promotion, the ongoing permanent promotion of this uh, of of two false ideas. Uh, one that COVID is an unusually deadly killer. We know from government data that it is not, and that its impact on life expectancy uh, amongst the human race is negligible it is minimal it has it has very very limited impact on life expectancy by virtue of the fact that it's not like the spanish flu from 1918 to 1920 which killed uh between 20 and 100 million people imagine that 20 million deaths that's the low side historians uh well historians say 20 million 50 million 100 million different historians have different views let's go with the lowest number it killed 20 million people and this is at a time when the world's population is uh, just under 2 billion, okay? So this is wiping out. Uh, it's literally killing 1% of the entire population of planet Earth. You contrast that today with the COVID deaths, which are just over a million. And again, that's overreported because that's anybody who's got it in their body. That, you know, They could have committed suicide, but if they happen to have COVID in their body, it's listed as a COVID death. Um, so you've got a million reported COVID deaths and the world population is approaching 8 billion, right? Right. So, so it's four, four times as many people and one twentieth of, of the deaths. So, I mean, the, the, the COVID is just a fraction of, of the Spanish flu, but the Spanish flu killed people, killed healthy young adults in their twenties and thirties. It left children untouched, uh, just like COVID today is leaving children untouched, but it killed healthy young adults in the prime of life. And, that is different from a 
the typical annual flu that will every year, uh, there are hundreds of thousands of people that die from the annual flu. And the vast majority of those are people in their 70s and 80s who are already very unhealthy, very sick. So all of that to say, when people say that COVID is an unusually deadly killer, that's the first falsehood. That's simply not true. Secondly, that that everybody should be afraid of is also false. And we've had blatant fear-mongering. Uh, the, public, the, the chief medical officer in Saskatchewan stated publicly, he said, COVID does not discriminate uh, by age. I mean, that's a blatant lie. Yes, it does discriminate by age. <laughs> the right. data says that. It's people in their 90s and 80s and 70s that are, you know, 90, 95% uh, of the death. So COVID does discriminate by age. And it's not like your your five-year-old, 15-year-old, 25-year-old has anything to fear. And yet mm. they, they've lied about that and said that we should all be very afraid. So this is what's driving it. It's, it's, it's those two, uh, it's the two lies. COVID is an unusually deadly killer that we should all be very afraid of. Those are the two lies. Yeah. And okay. uh, if you believe in evidence-based public policy, then uh, base it on facts. But well, you've got when people are afraid, boy, they're easy to manipulate. They're gullible and they're not thinking. Right. So we've talked a lot about Quebec, but it's the same thing in Ontario, where they are not uh, bringing back lockdowns as aggressively, but they're still talking uh, within the past week about reducing the maximum number of people that can get together is only ten people, and we have to look at you know once again fully closing. Uh, restaurants and gyms and uh, all kinds of different businesses. And the, (laughs) you know, it makes me think that one of the, one of the slogans I disagree with is we're all in this together. Well, no, actually, if you're running a small business and you've been bankrupted by government and you've seen your life's work and your life savings destroyed, because for some people, their business is their life savings, right? Mm. They don't have, they don't have a, they don't have a pension of any kind, let alone the very generous uh, pensions that, that public sector people uh, often are receiving. And so if your business is destroyed, that's your life savings that's destroyed. And if you're public sector, you are collecting your full paycheck for uh, in almost all cases for 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 teachers and uh, social workers and policemen and provincial government employees hundreds of thousands of federal government and provincial government employees hundreds of thousands of people collecting their full paycheck since March 15th we're not all in this together uh, mm-hmm. for them you know maybe the inconvenience was limited to uh, not getting a haircut or having to be home with the kids but there's been no financial suffering on uh, on the part of the public sector. So we're not all in this together. But that panic uh, about cases, we see it in, in, in Ontario. It's the same idiotic, uh, unscientific hysteria about cases when the death stats are showing that nobody's, hardly anybody is dying of COVID. So, you know, we're in, in, we're in the realm of, of, of lightning strikes in terms mm-hmm. of the numbers. How can there be a second wave when nobody's dying? Or as, as somebody put it, you know, COVID is such a deadly killer, you don't even know that you have it unless you get tested. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know? One thing I did pick up when I was looking through these stories, and I don't know whether this got lost in translation, but I did see it in a couple of stories coming out of Quebec, uh, albeit by CBC, the, the English version. They referred to the measures that the government is bringing in for this Thanksgiving as widely unpopular 
Good. Which, which Glad is, to hear it. kind of runs against the grain of what the mainstream media keeps telling us, which is that everybody's, you know, we're all behind this 100% and we all want to, you know, more drastic measures. And yet they slip in there that this is widely unpopular. Makes me think, well, what are you not telling us? Or maybe you're not telling us in English. That's all. But anyway, so I, I just wanted to throw that in there. I think there's a little more doubt than uh, maybe they're the, publicly admit, admitting. So. Um, well, I hope I hope that common sense will spread like a virus and counteract the virus of fear. And I think people, a lot of people, are realizing at a at a at a gut level, at a heart level, and at a head level, there's a growing realization that this just can't be true. If if it was this kind of an unusually deadly killer, you would see a lot more deaths than what we have. And when 80% of, of the deaths are in nursing homes, that leaves how many people outside of nursing homes that died of COVID? Are we looking at, uh, if there's 10,000 deaths in Canada, COVID deaths, again, that number is higher than reality, okay? But, but even taking it at face value, if there's 10,000 COVID deaths, in a context of 275,000 Canadians dying every year, but if four-fifths of those are in nursing homes, what you've got is 2,000 COVID deaths outside of nursing homes. And now in you're down months. into the territory yeah. in, in six months. And, and now you're, uh, you're into the territory of lightning strikes or, or uh, you know, car accidents or, or less than that. And in the same way that we would not uh, abolish private car ownership and individuals having the right to, to drive a car in order to save people from getting killed by, in car accidents – uh, you're not going to get rid of uh, car ownership on that account. So in the same way, you don't strip us of our rights and freedoms and dignity and destroy our economy uh, because you've got 2,000 people uh, that have died of COVID. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't make any sense. Right, yeah. Okay. Uh, I want to move on slightly to something that you had written in the post-millennial. It's somewhat related, but it has more to do with lockdowns, and it has to do with lockdowns across the world, particular uh, developing or third world nations. You wrote the column in the post-millennial. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, without minimizing how much harm the lockdowns have caused and continue to cause in Canada, it's even worse in the third world. I was looking at uh, an Oxfam report on uh, different situations. Uh, you could you could find it online. They talk about what's happening in in India and South Africa, Brazil, and Venezuela, uh, a lot of different African countries, and they estimate three hundred and five million people have lost their jobs. Now, in Canada, if you lose your job. It can be, and, and it is devastating, and you know, for some people more devastating, for other people less devastating. But here you've got a, a CERB benefit of $2,000 a month, and you've got, um, you still have, you know, a healthcare system, and <laughs> you've got access to that. And it's, it is devastating and psychologically and emotionally, and being, being unemployed is a hard thing to go through. However, in the third world, it's far more, it's far worse because there are people in India and all kinds of kind of developing countries where uh, a guy goes out and works, he might earn $5 a day or $10 a day. That's the money he needs that day to buy food 
for his family so he can feed his wife and kids and himself. It's the $10 that uh, is going to buy food and, and other necessities, you know, there. And so if you lose your job, you don't have any money and you can't, uh, you have no money to eat. And so this, it causes massive malnutrition. I mean, some of these people, they'll have to downgrade the food. So instead of having healthy fruits and vegetables, maybe you're going to have only rice. Okay, so you're going to miss out on vitamins and nutrients. So you're going to get malnourishment by having a poorer quality of food that you eat, or you're going to scale down to having one meal a day instead of three meals a day. So 305 million jobs lost uh, you know, and multiply that out by if for every job lost, if there's one or two or three people that uh, the person was supporting, right, like mm-hmm. a spouse or or, or kids, uh, you've got the restrictions on mobility means that farmers can't harvest their crops because they can't get their laborers to come in and do the harvest. So you've had all these instances uh, all over the world where crops are rotting and they're not being harvested. You've got restrictions on transportation. Uh, truck drivers, you know, need to go into quarantine and can't ship and move goods around. So you don't have the farmer's goods going to the market. You have the markets shut down because, you know, that's a non-essential business, right? <laughs> you know, people can't buy and sell food. So it is, it is catastrophic. And the actual death toll is not in, uh, to my knowledge, we don't know yet in terms of the, the hard numbers. Uh, but it is it is eminently reasonable uh, when you consider the the billions of people that live in developing nations, what these kinds of restrictions are doing to cripple their economy, to cut off food supply chains, to cut off other supply chains that prevent people from working, uh, forcing people into unemployment. The farmers have nobody to harvest the crops, so on and so forth. How can you not have millions of people? dying that were already on the cusp because if you're poor in the third world and you need that job to eat. So unemployment will mean malnutrition and the malnutrition in some cases will lead to death. Did they make any reference to that in the report? Are they just sort of leaving it open at the moment? It's open-ended as to what the death toll is. The other online research I've done on the, um, the third world death toll. I mean, so far we don't have a lot of, um, we've got a lot of information coming in about, you know, here's bad things that are happening. And it is very obvious that, that people are, are unemployed and, and that they're eating less. Uh, what the actual death toll will be from the lockdowns in the third world. We don't have the hard data yet, but I think based on what I've seen so far, you're going to, it'll easily be counted in the millions of deaths. Mm-hmm. caused by the lockdown. In contrast to how many COVID deaths? Well, according to the Worldometer uh, website, we're just over 1 million. But uh, again, actual number probably lower. But even if it's 1 million COVID deaths, right? if you got several, if the lockdowns are causing several million deaths by other means, how could the lockdowns possibly be a good thing? Well, I will say cynically, maybe they'll just count those lockdown deaths as COVID deaths. You know, I mean. well, and they are, and this is actually this is a tragic thing. We've got we've got a lot we've got to roll up our sleeves. We have a lot of work uh, ahead of us because even in the even in some of these stories that I've read, they say about you know 
they talk about these as COVID deaths. It's like, mm. no, yeah, th- those are not COVID deaths. A COVID death is when you get the virus and then the virus kills you. That's a COVID death. If you starve to death because you because the government forced you out of work because they destroyed the economy and you and because you're in the third world and you're already kind of living on the edge and living on five dollars a day or ten dollars a day, living day to day, you know, hand to mouth, needing that job in order to eat and in order for your children to eat, and the government shut you down and then you die, that's not that's not a COVID death. That's a lockdown death. Hang on, I was being cynical. You're telling me they are already doing that? They're calling those COVID deaths, or just to clarify? Uh, well, they're not. They're not coming. Sort of in a, in a in a colloquial style. You read the. You know. Oh, they, they say here, here's story. the here's the impact of COVID. You know, COVID is causing uh, COVID. The pandemic is causing uh, many deaths in the third world because uh, the economies are being crippled. Blah 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 blah. Right. So there, the language that's being used in a lot of these articles is COVID is causing a lot of deaths in the third world. Uh, not the it, rather rather policy. than saying well, what I would say is that the lockdowns are causing deaths in the third world and separately yes COVID also there are people in the third world who get COVID and they die of COVID but then you have much larger numbers of people that are getting killed not by COVID but by starvation and malnutrition because of lockdown measures right you so had, have to choose I, our words carefully yeah you had cited in your article Afghanistan. Uh, Why'd you focus? Thirty percent drop in 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 revenues, and you know the border closures impact also the herdsmen. Uh, if you're if you've got uh, goats or sheep or other animals, and you're a herdsman, you need to be moving around to different pastures to uh, to have a healthy flock. And so you've got restrictions on movement. Uh, you know yeah. it's going to lead to the deaths of of uh, of the animals as well. Man, okay going to be a bad 2021 is what you're saying because i think that's when we're going to start seeing all this stuff the uh, impacts of this stuff rolling in i mean nobody really mentions the third world i'm glad they they issued this report because it's not something that we thought about i know you and i have never discussed it before i mean yeah human human nature is to be self-centered and focused on oneself so i think it's it's uh it's kind of normal for canadians to be concerned first and foremost with canada that's fine but yeah no we don't we don't think about the the impact on uh, on countries in in south america in africa in asia where the living standard is lower where the life expectancy is lower where the quality of medical care is much lower and where people are uh, living hand to mouth and and uh you know, n- not that far removed from death on a mm. daily basis, right? Whereas in in Canada, uh, with and and the, the United States and most countries in Europe, we're at kind of a, a level of wealth where we're, we're we're quite removed. We're quite far removed from from death. Um, you know, if you lose your job, well, there's there will there will still be money for you, and there will still be a place to live, and and so on. Yeah, actually, after reading your your column. Uh Something I'd heard anecdotally made a lot of sense. I'd, uh, I I have a lot of people coming into my place from uh, third world places that uh, they're caregivers, helping me in my uh, caregiving situation. They told me that uh, they're they're shipping barrels of food back home. A lot of them now. I guess it costs 150 bucks to send one of these big barrels. They're loading them up with things like uh, ramen noodles and rice and all that kind of stuff now to send to Jamaica. Because uh, the supply lines are starting to dry up there, 
which kind of surprised me. And I guess it, that makes sense after, you know, thinking about what you had written. So I'm glad well, the other, to it. And, and this wasn't in my article, but the remittances for some countries, uh, they get 15%, uh, 5%, 10% of their national income comes from uh, their own nationals, their own citizens that are working abroad, mm. right? So this would be uh, like a lot of people in the Philippines that live and work in Saudi Arabia or other Middle Eastern countries, or they live and work in Canada or the United States, and they send money back home. Okay, so the, and this has also had a big impact on the third world because the Canadian and American and European economies are getting crippled by lockdown measures. And disproportionately, the people that get thrown out of work is people who are earning less than 40000 a year. If you're some civil servant, uh, teacher, doctor, nurse, whatever, uh, you're earning a big income and you're not losing your job. So in Canada, the job loss has disproportionately hit immigrants and unskilled people and people earning 40,000, uh, people earning generally lower income jobs are getting hurt. So if you're in, uh, if you're in Canada and let's say you're from the Philippines and you're sending, you know, a, a portion of your salary back to the Philippines to support your family there, right? Mm. Well, if you get thrown out of work in Canada, guess who doesn't get the money in the Philippines, right? It's it's your family members. So this also has had a devastating impact on the third world when the uh, foreign workers in Canada get thrown out of work, which many of them have been by the lockdowns. You then get uh, this negative impact on the uh, on the third world countries, right? Yeah. So let's uh, let's end up by uh, referring back to Aruda's comment that uh, he's not here to look after the economy; he's here to look after the public health. <laughs> I think that is a uh, a completely blind statement. I'm I'm glad that we uh, highlighted it earlier, and I'm glad I remembered to highlight it here at the end. Any yes. last thoughts, John? Well, I think I think Dr. Arruda should get his head examined if he really believes that uh, that that there's some contradiction between human life and the economy. And also, if you want to consider yourself to be a good doctor, uh, you have to look at uh, you have to take a broader, holistic look at health across the board. And uh, you cannot be a good doctor if you care only about your patient uh, not having one particular illness. You have to consider all of the different illnesses that could affect your patient if you want to be a good doctor. Right. And I don't think he qualifies as such. Right, yeah. I, I know that he doesn't. he's not universally loved in Quebec because somebody doxed him. They actually publicized his address and phone number online, and he had to make a complaint to the police about it. So he's, uh, he's not as popular as some might think anyway. He was hailed as a hero back in March. I did run across this. But what I've, what I've said about him, I would say that about every chief medical officer. Mm -hmm. I mean, they none of, none of the chief medical officers have um, answered my questions yet about the uh, impact of lockdown measures on uh, things like anxiety, depression, uh, drug use, drug overdoses, alcoholism, family violence. Uh, depression, despair, psychiatric uh, disorders, mental illnesses, so on and so forth. Uh, more recently, I've uh, written to all the chief medical officers asking about the cancelled surgeries and what were these surgeries for and how many people have died. 
And, you know, they're not answering questions uh, on that either. And when people in a position of authority refuse to answer questions about their own policies, then uh, right off the bat, you know that they cannot be good policies. If they were good policies, then we would get some uh, credible answers to these questions. So we will You're not forge expecting ahead replies. And, you well, you never know. You never know. We will forge ahead. No, no, I appreciate you sending them out, but I, and it's quite telling that they don't answer. But uh, be honest here. Do you think they'll ever reply to those first letters that you sent out? Or are they going to have to send them out again? Well, they, they'll have to reply when, uh, when, if or when there are court actions and yeah. they have to sit down on the chair and answer the questions uh, because they've been subpoenaed to uh, to testify in a court action. So at the end of the day, uh, some of these chief medical officers, uh, depending on which provinces we launch uh, court actions in, they will have to answer questions whether they like it or not. Right. And uh, but yeah, in in the interim so far, uh, it seems that uh, mum's the word. Right. When they get in the hot seat, we'll definitely cover that. We will. Show. We'll talk about it. Oh yeah. Great. Anyways, great. Thanks, John. Uh, we'll wrap up episode 40 of Justice with John Carpe. Thanks very much for being here. And uh, yeah, we'll probably talk to you next week. Yes, looking forward to it, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you.